You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Philomena Galan. Philomena Galan was 41 years old and pregnant with her second child. She and her husband and their nine-month-old baby boy lived in Philomena's childhood home, Beachlawn House, located just outside the tiny village of Caltra in East Galway. Beachlawn was a very old house, bigger than most farmhouses of its type and was without most modern conveniences. Philomena and Pat lived there with Philomena's mother, Noni Gordon. She was a widow, her husband Mike having passed away 15 years before. Philomena's older sister, Bridie, also lived in the house, along with one of their brothers. But Pat and Philomena were anticipating a move. The couple were building a large two-storey house at the side of an 80-acre farm in Gort, County Galway, that Pat and his brother Kevin had inherited from their parents. The house was nearly finished and Philomena was set to pick out carpeting and curtains the following week. Pat had cleared and reseeded some of the land in preparation for bringing livestock onto it. Pat also had a factory job in Galway City and had for a time been a long-haul trucker. Philomena actually worked in Dublin. She had a job in St. Columkill's Hospital in Lachlanstown, working in their catering department, and she'd been there for 20 years. Philomena would go to Dublin and stay there for a week. She worked one week off and one week on and loved her job. While in Dublin, she slept in quarters on the hospital grounds. Philomena was a fun, kind person, but was also a careful woman. She had money saved in the bank and had paid the £65,000 needed for the building of their Gort home in cash. And she still had a significant sum squirreled away in her bank account after. On the 10th of May 1994, Pat and Philomena had gone for a drink in the pub. They talked about plans for the house and were home by midnight. Philomena was leaving early the following morning, heading to Dublin to begin her week at work. The couple made arrangements that Pat would ring Philomena to check in with her over the weekend, on Sunday. So the morning of Wednesday the 11th of May, Philomena Galan left her home at around 20 minutes to 7 and got into her red opal cadet to drive to Dublin. But she never arrived. By that Friday, colleagues at the hospital were concerned about Philomena's lack of appearance at her work. Her bosses at the hospital had given Philomena a little slack. Employees were allowed two days uncertified leave, and as she was seven months pregnant, it seemed even more likely that she may have been a little under the weather. The hospital did not have a telephone number for her in Galway, however, so on that day they wrote to Philomena's home address, inquiring about her absence. On Sunday, Philomena's husband rang Lachlanstown Hospital to speak with her, in line with the arrangement that they made that he'd call that afternoon. But Pat was told Philomena hadn't arrived on Wednesday morning, five days before. 
On hearing the news, Pat rang the local Garda station at Bellew to raise the alarm. It was around 7pm. An alert was immediately issued by Gardi. Searches around her home were conducted and questionnaires were handed out in the area the following day. Soon after, newspapers carried reports that a woman in her late 30s who was seven months pregnant had gone missing from County Galway. Philomena was described as five foot seven inches tall with short black hair and green eyes. The whole family had been intensely private. Many people living in Caltra didn't know that Philomena had got married or that she'd been pregnant at that time. There had been only six people at Philomena and Pat's wedding dinner in 1993. When reports emerged that a pregnant woman from Caltra had gone missing, locals weren't sure who it was as many didn't know Philomena was expecting. In fact, some people who lived locally thought Pat had been going out with Bridie as they were sometimes seen at the pub together while Philomena was away on her week of work in Dublin. On Tuesday the 17th of May, a neighbour came forward and told Gardie that he had heard shots near to Philomena's home on the morning of her disappearance. The man had been out collecting sheep and had heard the shot at around a quarter to seven. Gardie would later confirm to the press that there had also been suggestions that members of Philomena's family had heard shots that morning too. On the morning of the 18th of May, at a quarter past nine, A week after Philomena was last seen, her car was located at Athlone Railway Station, about 25 minutes from her home. A contract cleaner had made the discovery of the car just outside the busy railway station. He had just heard about the Garda appeal for information about the missing Philomena on the Morning Ireland radio show, including a description of her missing car. That morning, he'd been looking for a parking space in the station when he arrived and noticed it. Staff at the station checked with Gardie, giving them the number plate of the car, and local guards were on the scene within ten minutes of that call. The keys were in the ignition, and the cleaner thought that the car had been rifled through, as some of Philomena's personal items were scattered around the car. This included a number of documents and a bank book. A Garda took the keys from the ignition and used them to pop open the boot. There was a string of a coat or an anorak dangling from it. But the door was shut as quickly as it was opened. In the boot was Philomena's body. Staff from the railway station could not say how long the car had been parked there, but said it could have been there for two or more days. A Garda cordon was erected around the car and a bus was pulled up behind the car to shield the scene from photographers and onlookers. Passengers arriving at the station that evening were questioned by Gardie in order to ascertain if anyone had seen anything suspicious in the area over the previous week. Dr. Margaret Bolster, assistant state pathologist, called to the scene just after 5pm, where she observed the clothed body of Philomena Galan in the boot of the car. She carried out the post-mortem examination at Port Ancula Hospital that evening. Philomena's car was towed from the car park and brought to be examined by the Garda Technical Bureau in Dublin. During the post-mortem, the pathologist noted a large bruise on Philomena's forehead, as well as abrasions and grazing on her right hand and knees. There was a wound to the back of Philomena's head, caused by a spread of pellets from a shotgun, and six stab wounds to her back. 
Two of those wounds had hit her lungs, and one of them was four inches deep. Some of the shotgun pellets had made their way into one of Philomena's lungs and her pulmonary vessel. Her right lung was partially collapsed. Dr. Bolster concluded that Philomena Galan's cause of death was hemorrhage and shock, and said that it was possible she could have survived 15 to 20 minutes after the shot, but the further bleeding caused by the stab wounds complicated matters. It was Dr. Bolster's opinion that it was unlikely that Philomena was alive when placed in the boot, countering the rumours that had begun to spread that the woman had tried in vain to get out of the boot after being placed there. The pathologist was unable to determine the precise time of Miss Galan's death, but early reporting indicated that it was thought Philomena had died in the early part of the seven days that she was missing, likely just shortly after she left her home on the 11th of May. Back at Philomena's house in Caltra, Gardy began searches in what was now a murder inquiry. They found a spent cartridge near to Beachlawn House. The police also appealed for two men who had been seen near the gate of Philomena's house on Wednesday the 11th to come forward in order that Gardy could eliminate them from the inquiry. A photo fit of these two men seen near the Gordon's gate was prepared by Gardy and a description of a blue car that was also seen nearby was issued. The investigating team were also eager to track the movements of Philomena's car over the previous seven days, saying that this might be the key to identifying her killer. In an attempt to quell public disquiet, Gardy also said that they could make no connection at that early stage between the murders that had happened only two weeks before in Clare and Galway of Amelda and Liam Riney and Father Joe Walsh. Police colleagues from Shankilgarda Station in Dublin visited Lachlanstown Hospital to examine Philomena's room in the staff residential block. She had worked in the hospital for 20 years and it was a small institution. Close relationships were formed in the workplace there. Her colleagues described Philomena as the heart and soul of the kitchen. The day after the discovery of Philomena's body, staff at Lachlanstown Hospital held a special mass in her memory. The Irish Times reported on Friday the 20th that Gardy believed that Philomena had been fleeing her killer when she was shot in the back of the head. Because of the distance involved, the shot was thought to have been fired from a range of 10 to 12 feet away, the shot was ineffective, at which point Philomena's assailants had followed after her and stabbed her. These wounds had been inflicted by some sort of kitchen knife. Gardy also confirmed that the shotgun cartridge found near to Philomena's mother's home was being examined by ballistics experts, but was thought to be old. They also appealed for a bearded man in his 40s to come forward. This man had been in Athlone train station the previous Monday and had reported to staff that there was an Opal cadet in the car park which had a door open. The staff had told him to simply shut the door. A fingertip search of the area around Philomena's home was conducted by Gardy that day, including local ditches and fields in the rural area. Hedges and grass were cut and dense undergrowth in some areas was pulled away in an effort to make the search slightly easier. There were simultaneous investigations going on in Athlone and in Dublin, and Gardy were testing clothes fibres, fingerprints, bloodstains and soil traces found on Philomena's shoes. 
Gardi were trying to ascertain the location of the attack on Philomena, and Garda sources told the Irish Times that it was possible that two people had been involved in her death due to the difficulty one person might have had getting the heavily pregnant woman's body into the boot of the car. However, it was confirmed that there were no obvious suspects at that stage of the case. Philomena's family remained in her family home while the search effort was ongoing, amid the shock and sadness of the wider community in Caltra. Members of the family were interviewed by Gardi. On the evening of Friday, the 20th of May, Philomena's body was brought to her local church, Our Lady of Lourdes, Caltra. Her family were there to accept condolences from the residents of Caltra who filed past the coffin. The funeral took place the following day in the church where Philomena had been baptised. The parish priest had officiated Philomena and Pat's wedding ceremony just the year before. He told the gathered mourners, quote, The events of the last three weeks have disfigured the face of the beautiful west of Ireland, from Ayrscourt to Whitegate to our small rural community here in Caltra, end quote. Philomena's body was then brought to Kilmacdua Cemetery outside of Gort for burial. The Bishop of Galway was also present for the internment and blessed the coffin himself. The several hundred people present at the graveyard watched in silence before praying a decade of the rosary. After the funeral, Pat Galan moved back to Gort and stayed with his brother Kevin at their farm. Philomena and Pat's nine-month-old little boy was cared for by Pat's sister. One of Philomena's brothers, who had returned to Caltra for the funeral mass, decided to move back in with Mrs. Gordon and Bridie at Beechlawn, which remained the focus of the Garda investigation into Philomena's murder. This episode is sponsored in part by our good friends, the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. As you all know, I'm a little obsessed with Best Fiends at this point. My day is either spent with the details of the worst day of someone's life or the horrors of homeschooling and lockdown, so it's really great to have something totally different from that to keep my brain occupied, whether it's a few spare minutes during the day, hiding from my family, or completing a couple of levels before bed. Best Fiends is updated with new challenges, themes, and events, so there's always something new for you to do. I always make sure to try and finish the special missions and events that are on. I love winning extra keys and gold and upgrading and evolving my little fiend buddies. Best Fiends is a fun and easy game to play, and it keeps you engaged with its fun challenges and playful design. You can even play while you're offline. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. So hurry, download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. By Monday the 23rd of May, the search area around Philomena's home was widened. Gardie said they had no confirmed sighting of Mrs. Galan or her car since she left her home on Wednesday the 11th. There had been a strong response from the public, and house-to-house inquiries continued, but the three men they had specifically appealed for to come forward still had not contacted Gardie. 
That day, a man was arrested at lunchtime in Gort village and taken to the Garda station in Ballinasloe. Near to half seven that evening, a woman in her thirties was also arrested in relation to the case in Caltra. Under Section 30 of the Offences Against the State Act, they could be held for up to 48 hours. Two days later, on Wednesday the 25th, a third person was arrested and brought to Ballinasloe Garda Station. He was taken into custody that afternoon in Caltra. That day, Gardy also revealed that a six-inch knife had been found in grass on the side of a road by a passerby the previous week. This knife and a number of other items had been taken for examination and had not been conclusively connected with the attack on Philomena Galan. Searches also found unspent shotgun cartridges, which were possibly linked to Philomena's murder, but it was still not clear where the attack on her had occurred. On Thursday the 26th, the man and the woman who had been detained were released. Gardy had to clear the way for the man when he was leaving the station as a crowd had gathered and he left with a blanket over his head. The next day it was revealed by Garda sources that Philomena had in fact been found dressed but with her clothes on over her nightgown and she'd been covered over in the boot of her car with her coat. Searches in the case for both the scene of the attack and the weapons used continued. Over the last weekend in May, the man that the guardie had asked to come forward after alerting railway staff about an open car in the parking lot in Athlone Railway Station contacted Gardie. After speaking to investigators in the case, it became apparent that the car in question had not in fact belonged to Philomena Galan. This man was therefore eliminated from the inquiry. Meanwhile, a sub-aqua team began searches of waterways between Caltra and Athlone Town. Gardy confirmed that they were still following certain lines of inquiry, however. But on the 29th of May, 1994, Garda sources told the Sunday Tribune that they were being hampered in the investigation by the laws surrounding how and when they could interview people in the course of the investigation. They wanted to get the three people that they had previously detained back for further questioning, but they were not able to do this under the law as it stood. So Gardy just had to hope that other witnesses would come forward. Police were also able to confirm that robbery as a motive had been ruled out, and that there was a further possible sighting of Philomena's car on the morning of her disappearance. At about twenty past seven, two cars were seen speeding towards Loch Ray. One was a red car, similar to Philomena's, and the other was possibly the one seen with the two men near to the gate of Beechlawn House. Two months after Philomena was discovered dead, a man was detained by Gardy in Gort at around 10am on the 26th of July. This man was then released after being held for the maximum period of 48 hours. That day, Gardy made very little comment on Philomena's case, but did tell the press that they had no evidence that supported a claim in a recent newspaper article that there had been a previous attempt on Philomena's life. By the end of the first week in August, extra Gardy were tasked in to join the investigating team on the case, confirming that the investigation had not been scaled down at all, as had been rumoured. Garda Officer Chief Superintendent Joseph Kilgannon said that the location of Philomena's murder had still not been identified, 
but her murder was thought most likely to have occurred near to the Gordons' home. They were following certain lines of inquiry, but they were not in a position to say whether they were close to bringing charges. Gardie thought it was possible that the shotgun used had been loaned out by its legal owner to someone, and asked for anyone who had done something along those lines to come forward. Chief Superintendent Kilgannon said, quote, There is a possibility that someone may have unwittingly lent the murder weapon to the person involved in the crime. That person may be out there and may now be fearful of coming forward. All I can say is that he will be given a sympathetic ear, end quote. Anyone with information or who had seen anything suspicious on the morning of the 11th of May was once again asked to come forward. Pat Galan gave an interview to the Star newspaper on the 18th of September, 1994, saying how much he missed his wife. But Pat wouldn't come to the door when the journalist Veronica Guerin turned up, with his brother telling the reporter that Pat was, quote, shy of women. That day, Veronica Guerin also wrote a piece in the Sunday Independent about Philomena Galan's murder. The paper stated that Pat Galan had not been told about an RTE Crimeline broadcast on the case due to be shown that week, let alone been asked to cooperate with the programme. More shockingly, Guerin revealed that Gardy and Ennis had spoken to a woman two months before who claimed that an ex of hers had confessed to Philomena's murder. The woman had first met the man when she was hitchhiking. They saw each other on and off, and at one of these meetings he had made this startling revelation. The woman had immediately gone to the Gardie and had told them of the conversation. A Garda source told Guerin that the woman had been very brave to come forward, but added that the nature of the woman's relationship with the man she had named created a problem in terms of using her evidence in court. They didn't believe that it could be relied upon on its own to make a legal case against someone. An official Garda comment came from the station in Ballinasloe, which confirmed that all statements that had been received in relation to the case had been acted upon and simultaneously stated that the quality of the witness was crucial in any police investigation. Subsequent to this, there were a number of pieces of information that Gardy appealed to the public for help with. It was revealed that Philomena always wore a Seiko watch, which was not subsequently recovered. They asked if anyone knew where it was to come forward. They once again called on shotgun owners who lent or sold their guns before the killing to make contact. Gardy also wanted to speak to anyone who had been hunting in the Caltra area between Christmas of 1993 and the following May to come forward in order to compare ammunition with shotgun cartridges found near the Beachlawn house. Gardy also renewed their appeal for information about the two men and a large blue car that was seen by the gate at Beachlawn. The following weekend, Veronica Guerin published an interview with the woman who was the subject of her article the week before, now named publicly as Linda Woods, a 32-year-old Ennis woman. Ms. Woods told Guerin that she had been seeing the man for 18 months, though she had told no one this, and only a few friends of his knew they were seeing each other. Linda had never asked him, but she suspected he was seeing other women, and Linda herself had a partner who lived with her. Linda said she didn't pry too much, as she didn't want to ruin their time together when they had it. In July of 1994, they'd met up at a pub in Crochine, a town halfway between Gort and Ennis. 
They were talking about Philomena's murder, and he'd seemed off, so Linda had asked him about it. She alleged that he'd then blurted out that he'd killed Philomena, and had quickly tried to change the subject. Linda said she'd continued asking him about it, and eventually he told her that a number of people had been involved. She was shaken, but he told her to have a drink and forget about it, and she thought he must have been making the whole thing up. Linda said she'd been wary of contacting the guards because she thought they would think she was crazy, explaining to Girin, quote, In a way, I was. I mean, I suspected that this man I was crazy about committed murder. I knew the guards should be told, but because I was mad about him, I didn't want to say anything, end quote. Her stress and confusion over the situation caused a breakdown in her relationship at home, and she ended up moving with her child back in with her father. When Linda first went to the Gardee, she changed her mind just as she was going to make a statement, and so had named someone else in relation to a different case. She told the Sunday Independent that when she finally screwed up the courage to come clean, Gardee had wanted her to wear a wire and elicit another confession from this man. But during a further statement, she had told them lies and had entirely discredited herself. Linda said she had decided to speak to a reporter to try and explain what had happened. The stress had got to her, and in her confusion over her feelings for this man, the guilt of both suspecting him and telling the guardee of her ideas, she had become distressed and resulted in the inaccuracies in her statement. This explained the official Garda response in relation to Linda's story breaking in the papers. On the 27th of November, the Sunday World reported that Gardi were increasing surveillance in the case in an all-out effort to bring charges against those responsible for Philomena's murder. The paper had earlier reported that Garda sources had indicated that there were three separate possible suspects that the investigation was focusing on. A team of detectives were tasked with observation on a 24-hour basis in the hopes that this close surveillance would bring results. One Garda source told the paper that detectives were frustrated, saying, quote, There had been a wall of silence on the part of certain individuals, which we have found difficult to penetrate. End quote. The Irish Independent reported the following day that the day and night surveillance operation was being conducted for the purposes of applying psychological pressure on a suspect in the case. In October, there was yet another renewed appeal, with Chief Superintendent Kilgannon saying, quote, We believe there are people who saw certain things last May, and we are appealing for them to come forward. End quote. In the final month of 1994, the Garda investigation itself was in the news. There had been criticism of how the murder inquiry was being carried out following reports that Philomena's husband had his solicitor send a letter to the chief superintendent in charge of the investigation, complaining that he was being harassed. However, Garda Deputy Commissioner Pat Byrne said that all proper procedures were being used in the case. Noni Gordon spoke publicly for the first time in an interview with the Connacht Tribune. She told the paper she knew who had killed her daughter and continued, quote, We all know things. There were a lot of attempts on her life before that. A lot of things happened. It will all come out in court. It has to be solved and the killer put behind bars, end quote. Gardie disputed her claims that the murder weapon had been found, but sources unofficially confirmed that there was a suspect who was under surveillance in the case. 
A few days later, on the 27th of March, it was reported that Gardi were examining a shotgun found at the end of the summer of 1994. Specifically, it was said that they had discovered fingerprints on the gun, but had not made a match at that point, nor had they confirmed that it was the shotgun used in the attack on Philomena. In April of 1995, Noni Gordon spoke to Veronica Guerin, writing for the Sunday Independent. She told the reporter that she and her family had nothing to do with Pat Galan since shortly after Philomena's death. One of the main reasons for this was that Pat had taken his child from her home in Caltra, and according to Mrs. Gordon, Pat didn't allow her to see the boy until she got a solicitor to negotiate access. On the 20th of April 1995, a man was arrested in relation to the case and held for 48 hours under Section 30 of the Offences Against the State Act. But once again, this man was released when his detention period expired. With the arrival of the one-year anniversary of Philomena's initial disappearance, Gardi renewed their appeals in the case and mounted a number of checkpoints in Caltra and in Gort in the hopes that it would jog people's memories and perhaps open up new lines of inquiry. The Sunday World spoke to Mrs. Gordon about the renewed efforts. She asked, why go to all this trouble when she knew who had killed her daughter? Quote, why this? Why now? When I know in my heart and soul who the killer is, and everybody knows, I know this person is guilty. End quote. Then, on June 14th, 1995, Gardi were called to an incident at a quarter to seven in Gort after a row broke out between four men in the home of Pat Gillan. Gardi removed what were described as two cudgels and a slash hook from the scene and questioned a number of witnesses. Two of the men were Philomena's brothers and they were treated in hospital for injuries they sustained there. It emerged that Philomena's mother and sister had also been in Gort that evening as the family was in town visiting Philomena's grave. As one of her sons remained in hospital recovering from surgery to his stomach and wounds to his groin, Mrs. Gordon told the press, quote, We're all lucky to be alive. End quote. After the confrontation, Bridie Gordon, Philomena's sister, also spoke to the press. She told the Irish Independent, quote, Martin got in to drive the car, but he was too bad. Paddy drove to Gort, and we went straight to the guards' barracks. I tried to get an ambulance, and the guards called a doctor. It was terribly upsetting, the whole thing. My mother is in an awful state after it. She has already had three heart attacks and is in bed now. I'm living on my nerves all the time. Gardy confirmed that they were preparing a file for the Director of Public Prosecutions in relation to the fight. At the end of that month, Gardy detained four men for questioning in relation to Philomena's killing, under the suspicion that they may have illegally possessed firearms on the date of her disappearance. They had been picked up in Gort and taken to Mill Street Garda Station in Galway City. Finally, on Sunday the 2nd of July 1995, two men appeared at a special sitting of the District Court in Galway. Kevin Galan was charged with grievous bodily harm relating to the incident on the 14th of June at his home. The other man was charged with soliciting two men to murder Philomena. It was 30-year-old Pat Galan, her husband. Specifically, the charge sheet stated he was accused of having solicited Mr. Christopher Bulger and Mr. Michael Doyle to murder his wife on January the 31st of 1994 while he was in Dublin. 
He was also charged with soliciting another man, Mr. Patrick Burke, to murder a person unknown while in Gort sometime in March of 1994. It emerged Patrick Galan had been detained earlier in the year in relation to a firearms investigation and also once before in 1994. Gardy objected to bail, saying they were concerned that the men may attempt to interfere with witnesses. The men had objected to being held in Mill Street Garda Station and so they were remanded in custody to Mountjoy Prison. Before Judge Garavan, on Monday the 3rd of July, Kevin Galan was denied bail at Galway District Court as there were fears he would kill Martin Gordon. But Kevin denied having made threats such as this and said in fact he barely left his house. Detective Sergeant Healy rebutted the notion that Kevin Galan was basically a hermit staying in his house all the time and pointed out recent visits to a graveyard, attendance at a music session, and having gone to the beach. Then, on July 10th, both Pat Galan and his brother Kevin appeared before the High Court to appeal for bail. Detective Sergeant Lyman told the court that Kevin Galan had threatened to kill one of the investigating officers in the case of grievous bodily harm against him, and that the Gardaí were objecting to bail. In relation to Pat Gillan, the detective sergeant said he had a concern that the accused would attempt to interfere with civilian witnesses in the case and affirmed to the judge that this was based on the fact that, according to the guard, Pat had attempted to do the same thing during the course of the investigation into his wife's killing. There was an allegation that Pat Gillan had also threatened to kill one of the investigating officers with Pat having gone to this officer's house and caused duress to the family. Detective Sergeant Lynham also said that Pat had admitted in statements to the guardie that he had strangled his wife on two occasions before her death. A witness also appeared from Gort, Mr. John Cottle. This witness said he had spoken to Pat four or five days after Philomena's funeral and had asked him who he thought had killed his wife. Pat had said he thought it was a crowd from Dublin. The witness said Pat had told him that Gardy were hassling him. Mr. Cahill related that Pat had been drinking that day and the witness said he was afraid someone was going to get hurt. Pat had started talking quote-unquote nonsense and saying he would kill the Garda who had him under surveillance. Cahill continued, quote, I knew there was no violence in Pat, but on that particular day he did get a lot of hassle. I told the detectives about it in confidence because I was afraid something might happen, end quote. But Detective Sergeant Lynham had earlier denied that Pat had been under constant surveillance since his wife's death or that the surveillance had been to the level that it had been calculated to drive him mad. After this, Gerda Liam Byrne described being assaulted by both of the Galan brothers. He told the court that in May he had come across a car with the two brothers in it. The Galans got out and Pat had had a baton strapped around his wrist. Kevin Galan had hit him in the face, followed by Pat, who was screaming at him. The guard alleged that Pat had then said, quote, I waited a long time to do that. I will kill you, end quote. A guard Melvin also took to the stand and denied that he had been tasked to harass Mr. Galan in any way and said he was frightened of the man, not just because of the assault and threats, but because Pat Galan had come to his house a few times between 3 and 4 a.m. and parked up outside, where he revved his car engine before speeding away. 
Melvin went on to describe how Pat Galan had approached him while he was in Gort and had apologised to him for the threat, saying he'd been drunk at the time. The Garda said he would be worried about giving evidence in cases related to Pat Galan, such was the worry caused by these interactions. After this, Inspector Michael Curley described for the court an interview he had conducted with Kevin Galan. Mr. Galan had said to him during this interview, quote, I will do whatever it takes to protect myself and my family, end quote, which led the officer to fear what Kevin might do. Inspector Curley also described the events that had led to the dispute between the Galan brothers and the Gordon brothers. Martin and Patrick Gordon had arrived at the Galan house and had gone around the back, and it was there that the incident took place that resulted in hospitalizations for the two Gordon brothers. Inspector Curley said he had doubts that the call to the Galan's house had been social or intended to express sympathy. Detective Sergeant Jerry Healy agreed with the inspector and said he believed Kevin Galan had a deep hatred for the Gordon family and was obsessed with them. He feared for their safety should Kevin Galan remain at large awaiting trial. But Pat Galan also spoke on his own behalf to explain some of the incidents Gardy had told the court about, which they had offered as evidence of his unsuitability for bail. Pat told the court that he had been under surveillance by four detectives at one point, which had interfered with his life. Galan said they had once followed him to a funeral he was attending. Pat said that this was very embarrassing for him, and in the end, he said he'd sneaked out through the back of the church. Such was his humiliation and dismay. Mr. Galan told the court that he had indeed had interactions with Garda Melvin. There had been an incident between them, and he had apologised, and the two had had a few drinks together. Galan said that the two had departed as friends. Pat Galan also denied having assaulted Garda Byrne. In this incident, Pat said he had been returning from a breakaway in Northern Ireland and had been approached by Garda Byrne when he and his friends made a pit stop to go to the toilet. Galan accused Garda Byrne of having slapped him across the face. He also insisted that he had no idea who the two men from Dublin named in the charges against him were, and said he had never hit a guard with a baton. Gillan went on to allege that he had heard Gardy call him a murdering bastard and a scumbag, and that his mother-in-law, Mrs. Noni Gordon, had hit him over the head with a stick which had required six stitches. Pat Gillan told the High Court that he would undertake to, quote, stay out of the limelight and to refrain from alcohol until the trial was over if he was granted bail. The following day, Mr. Justice Flood gave his decision on the matter. In relation to Pat Galan, Justice Flood said though Gardy had said that Pat had attempted to interfere with witnesses, they had not named any, and the potential witnesses themselves would have provided the best evidence. Flood said that though there were genuine concerns that had been brought by Gardy in relation to granting bail for Kevin Galan, it was the judge's impression that Kevin's situation was reactionary and that he had responded in situations where he was entitled to defend himself. And so, Mr Justice Flood would grant the Galan brothers bail. There were to be two independent sureties of £10,000 for each of the brothers, with an additional £2,000 to be lodged by the men themselves. Pat was banned from communicating with seven people, and neither were to have any contact with the Gordon family, and were to stay away from their family home in Caltra the Galans were ordered to report to the Garda station in Gort once a week.
Two weeks later, the brothers were granted free legal aid. Initially, this application had been refused due to the farmland owned by the family. The following month, on the 25th of October, solicitors representing Kevin and Pat Galan complained in court regarding the delay in the state serving the book of evidence in the cases against the two men. Pat Galan's lawyer consented to an adjournment until December, but Kevin Galan's representation called the delay in his case farcical and asked for the charges against Kevin Galan to be struck out. But Judge John Garavan granted an adjournment to allow the DPP to prepare files in the cases. The book of evidence was served on Kevin Galan on the 22nd of November and was brought along with changes to the charges against him. He was remanded on continuing bail. The book in the case against Pat Galan was served on the 11th of December, with the charge of soliciting a man from Gorsh to murder Philomena being withdrawn at that time. The state solicitor requested that dates be set for the deposition of two witnesses in the case ahead of setting a date for the trial. But there were multiple proceedings going on simultaneously involving the Galans and the Gordons. On the 14th of February 1996, Pat Galan was returned for trial in relation to charges of assaulting a Garda, William Byrne, causing actual bodily harm and of causing malicious damage to a Garda car, both events alleged to have occurred on May 7th of 1995. Mr Galan opted for a trial by judge and jury in the circuit court rather than a summary procedure taking place at the district level. Kevin Galan had, by that point, also pleaded not guilty to an assault on Garda Byrne occurring on the same date. Kevin Galan was also returned for trial in the matter on the 26th of February. Lawyers in the cases were told in April by Judge John Garavan to get their act together. The cases had been adjourned a number of times as no arrangements for depositions had yet been made. The judge was losing patience and told the legal teams to make the necessary arrangements. On the 24th of April 1995, in Galway Circuit Court, Kevin Galan appeared to answer charges against him related to the injury of Philomena's brother. A jury was sworn in and Kevin Galan pleaded not guilty. The court was told that the altercation had arisen after Philomena's death and the belief by the Gordon family, rightly or wrongly, that the Galan brothers had had something to do with it. There were a number of confrontational incidents between the two families since Philomena was found murdered, and the history of these was outlined for the court. The Gordon brothers had gone to the Galan's house in November of 1994 and shouted curses at them from the outside. It was alleged that they'd yelled, quote, Come out, you bastards, bring out the knife and gun to us. End quote. The Galans had sent a solicitor's letter to the Gordons, warning them not to come near any of their houses. The letter also said that if the Gordons knew who had killed Philomena, then they should take that information to the guards. Later, though, Martin Gordon would deny on the stand that he had said any of this. Another incident occurred on the first anniversary of Philomena's death. The Gordons showed up at Pat and Kevin's sister's house. The Gordons said that they were being denied access to Pat and Philomena's two-year-old son, who Martina Reardon, the sister, was taking care of. On that occasion, the Gordons had brought a newspaper photographer with them who was alleged to have been acting aggressively. The Gardaí were called. After this, Ms Reardon said she felt she could no longer look after the boy, 
and he was put into foster care. All of these heated interactions had led up to the fight on the 14th of June, which had resulted in the injuries sustained by Martin and Paddy Gordon. Martin had been struck across the stomach with a slash hook. The court heard that the Gordons had been armed with a baseball bat and a pickaxe handle in the course of the fight, and so the question for the jury was whether the use of the slash hook against Martin Gordon had been a reasonable use of force in the course of self-defence. On the stand, Mr. Martin Gordon said he could not say if it had been the view of his wider family that Pat Gillan had been involved in Philomena's death at the time of this fight, but said that they eventually had become convinced that this was the case. He denied that he had been so upset by Philomena's death that he posed a danger to the Gallans, and said he had never made comments about roughing them up. There was a minor incident when the court was rising for lunch at 1pm on the 24th of April. Mrs Noni Gordon caught sight of Pat Gallan as everyone was leaving the courtroom and shouted after him. Guards moved to intercept her and calm her down, but she yelled, quote, How can I stay quiet? Other guardee redirected the jury as they exited towards a rear exit of the courtroom. The judge said he understood the stress and trauma endured by both families, but reiterated that they must keep control of their feelings. When the court resumed after lunch, it was Noni Gordon's turn in the witness box but as soon as she began speaking, it was clear that the trial could not go ahead. She was unable to divorce her feelings from the proceedings of the court. She had told the court that when her son fled back to their car, she had heard him say, quote, don't kill me, don't kill me, end quote. After this, the jury was discharged and a mistrial was declared. Depositions were finally made on the 14th of May in relation to the charges of solicitation to murder and on the 20th of May, Judge Garavan in the Galway District Court sent Pat Gallan forward for trial. He was remanded on continuing bail. The court also put the defence team on notice that if there was to be an alibi put forward as part of the defence's case, they would need to inform the prosecution of the details of this. But before that trial would take place, Pat's brother, Kevin Gallan, was back before the court in a second attempt to answer the charges that he had badly injured Martin Gordon with a slash hook in the course of a fight. The court heard details of the lead-up to and the circumstances of the altercation, and then heard from Mr. Patrick Gordon. He denied that he had told Gardy at the time of the incident that he had been in such a blinding rage that he had no memory of what had happened. On the stand, Patrick Gordon said that he had taken wooden implements from Kevin Gallan, and after that, Kevin had come at him with the hook, out of nowhere. Mr. Gordon believed that he was, quote, lucky to be alive. Then he'd fallen back over a wall as Kevin Gallan came at him. Philomena's brother also denied that he had told Gardy that he had hit Kevin Gallan with a pickaxe handle, saying he'd been in shock when he spoke to the police at that stage. On the 24th of February, Kevin Gallan also told his side of the story. That day, he said, the Gordons had arrived at the yard at the back of his farmhouse. The men were very upset about Philomena, and Kevin thought that they were going to kill him and his brother because no one had yet been charged with Philomena's murder. On entering the farmyard at the back of the Galan house, Paddy Gordon had taken a baseball bat and a pickaxe handle from Kevin and Pat. According to Kevin, Paddy Gordon had then hit him a few times, 
but the witness said he'd taken up a slash hook and motioned for Paddy to leave the yard. As Paddy was retreating, Kevin looked back and saw that Martin Gordon was attacking his brother Pat, who was on a tractor. Kevin told the court that he thought that Pat was going to be killed, and so he ran over to help. It was then that Martin had been badly hurt. Kevin insisted he had not meant to inflict the very serious injuries caused by this. He testified that in the days following Philomena's death, his family and the Gordons had been on good terms, but rumours began to spread and Martin and Paddy Gordon began to have hard feelings towards them. Kevin Galan insisted he and his brother had nothing to do with Philomena's death. Kevin said he was very sorry that he had injured Martin so badly, but at the time he felt he had no choice but to defend himself and his brother. On the stand, while questioned by his solicitor, Kevin Galan said, quote, I'm sad about that, but they pounced on us and they took the law into their own hands. End quote. He also agreed that the Gordons didn't have weapons on them when they entered the yard, but said that they were, quote, out of their minds with anger. A teenager, Coleman Moran, was the only other witness to the altercation in the Galan's farmyard that day. He told the court that he'd seen the Gordons arrive at the house and that they had moved quickly to the yard, looking as if they wanted a fight. Pat Galan had yelled at him to run and to call the guardie. The 16-year-old had also seen Kevin telling the Gordons to leave and swinging the slash hook, but he had not seen Kevin hit anyone with it. Patrick Galan also took the stand in the case against his brother. He informed the court that he was facing what he called trumped-up charges of solicitation to murder. Pat then went on to describe how the Gordons had charged at Kevin as they entered the yard and that Martin Gordon had set on him while he was sitting in his tractor screaming, quote, You killed my sister, you bastard. Pat said he had used his steel-toed boots and the tractor door to shield himself during this assault. Under cross-examination, Pat admitted this account was not the story he had told Gardee in the initial statement he had given, but said he was not now trying to protect his brother by changing his story to paint their actions as self-defence in the face of the serious injuries suffered by Martin Gordon. The jury in the circuit court deliberated for two and a half hours before returning a not-guilty verdict. Kevin Galan had been cleared of causing bodily harm to Martin Gordon, with the actions he had taken that day determined to be justifiable on the basis of self-defence by the jury. He was also cleared of assaulting Patrick Gordon. Kevin Galan was found guilty of the lesser charge of common assault. Sentencing on this conviction was adjourned until October, and Judge Harvey Kenny warned both the Gordons and the Galans to stay away from one another. Around the same time as Kevin Galan's trial, two boys were fishing at the River Shannon as it passed through Athlone Town when they saw a shotgun in the water. The boys immediately knew to contact the guardie and it was recovered for forensic examination. The gun was taken from the river at Newbridge, only half a mile from the car park at the train station where Philomena's body was found. Gardie carried out forensic tests on the firearm, but sources told the Sunday World that the gun had been stolen from a certified firearms holder in 1994, and it looked to have been in the river for quite a while, as it was badly corroded. They did not seem hopeful that much of anything could be gleaned from it in that condition. 
Then, on the 24th of September, Pat Galan's trial for soliciting two men to murder his wife, Philomena, opened in the Galway Circuit Criminal Court. Pat Galan entered his plea of not guilty to the charge, and the jury began to file in. As the first juror went to sit down, Bridie Gordon, Philomena's sister, cried out. Her 76-year-old mother, Noni Gordon, had suddenly collapsed. Bridie yelled for a doctor. Agarda jumped into action to perform life-saving measures on the elderly woman as an hysterical Bridie was escorted from the courtroom. A doctor arrived, followed by an ambulance, and Noni was rushed to the nearby hospital. Meanwhile, in the court, the jury were sworn in and sent out to decide on a four-person. But as this was going on, the court was informed that Noni Gordon had died. It would later be revealed that she had had a heart attack. She had been slated to be the first witness in the case. The lawyers and judge all expressed their sympathies to the Gordon family. They also decided that the case could not only not continue that day, but must be put off to begin afresh at a later date. The jury were informed and discharged. Paddy McEntee also informed the court that in the next hearing on the case, a question would be raised about the location of the trial. Noni Gordon was buried on the 27th of September at her home place in Caltra before a large congregation of friends and family. Galan's case came before the court for mention to set a date quickly. They were back before Judge Raymond Grork on Tuesday the 1st of October. Galan's counsel, Paddy McEntee, immediately made an application for change of venue in the case, citing not only national and local press coverage, but also rumours and talk in the local Galway area. McEntee said it had been, quote, discussed infinitum in the Galway area with rumour, innuendo and prejudgment about the circumstances of the case, end quote. Judge Grork stated that the law, until recently, had allowed the judge to order a change of venue upon request to do so. However, newer legislation meant now that a judge was required to find that he was satisfied it would be manifestly unjust not to move the trial in order to grant such an application. Judge Grork said that though he was not satisfied that there would be an injustice, He said that justice had to be seen to be done, and decided that there might be an injustice if the case stayed in Galway. The application was granted, and Gillan would now have his trial heard in the Dublin Circuit Criminal Court. A date for this new trial was set for the end of June 1997, though this was pushed back again due to a scheduling conflict on the part of Gillan's senior counsel, Paddy McEntee. Galan would finally appear to face the charge of solicitation of murder in December of 1997. Meanwhile, Paddy and Martin Gordon appeared again in court in relation to their altercation with the Galan brothers in June of 1994. The event was described for the court and Kevin Galan gave evidence. He explained how Martin Gordon had come after him and demonstrated how he had swung the slash hook saying that he hadn't intended to hurt or kill the man, and if he had, it would have been an easy thing for him to do. Judge Al O'D dismissed both charges against the Gordon brothers, saying, quote, if they were guilty of anything, which is doubtful, they certainly got sufficient punishment in the fracas. Pat 
Nash Galan's trial opened before Judge Joseph Matthews and a jury of eight women and four men on Monday the 1st of December 1997, where he pleaded not guilty to the solicitation charge. This was the first time in the history of the state that a person faced trial for a charge of soliciting to murder. Mr. Edward Cummin opened proceedings for the state at around 3pm that afternoon after an hour of legal argument. Mr. Cummins outlined the relationship between Pat Galan and his wife. The two had met in 1991 and began going out, but after Philomena had brought him home to meet her family in Caltra, the state alleged that Mr. Galan had formed an attachment with Philomena's sister, Bridie. Despite this, after Philomena discovered she was pregnant, she and Pat married in April of 1993 in Knock. All the while, Pat had continued his affair with Bridie, until, that is, she had met someone else and Philomena had discovered what was going on and had confronted her husband. A family crisis ensued and a number of months later, Philomena had been discovered dead in tragic circumstances. Mr. Cummin noted that it was widely known what had happened to Philomena, but told the jury that they were present in the court to deal with the matter before them. This was not a murder trial, and they would have to put that notion out of their heads. In fact, there was no need to prove that a murder had occurred to sustain a charge of solicitation to murder. The question before them was simply, had the defendant asked the two men who the court would hear from, if they would kill Philomena for him. After the opening speech, a member from the Garda Technical Bureau brought the court through various maps of locations involved in the case, and after that, the court was adjourned for the day. On Tuesday the 2nd of December 1997, Bridie Gordon, Philomena's sister, gave her testimony. She told the court that Philomena had met Pat in Listoon Varna in 1991, and she'd met Pat herself in 1992 when Philomena introduced them. Bridie admitted that she and Pat had begun a relationship before Pat and Philomena had married. She had to be pressed on confirming how intimate their relationship had been, but eventually said that the two had indeed been sleeping with one another. Bridie said that she and Pat had spent weekends together at the Rose of Tralee Festival in 1992, and in Listoon Varna in 1993. She said that Pat had wanted them to go to Listoon Varna together again, but she wouldn't agree to it. She was less willing to engage in the relationship, continuing, quote, he kept pestering me and forcing himself on me, end quote. The relationship ended entirely in October of 1993, when she began seeing someone else. Bridie went on to describe how Philomena had discovered the affair in December of 1993 after Pat had come home drunk. She told the court how he'd nearly broken down the door that night and there had been a huge row when he revealed the relationship. Philomena had confronted her and while this was going on, Pat had simply sat quietly at the kitchen table. Miss Gordon also confirmed that she had been questioned several times by the Gardee and had been arrested under Section 30 of the Offences Against the Person Act and held for 48 hours before being released. She also told the court that she recalled a Sunday in January of 1994 where Pat Galan had told her that he was off to Limerick to buy tyres for the tractor. After this, she'd gone to work at the bar. 
Bridie recalled that when Galan came back that evening, he'd been starving hungry. After her 35 minutes on the stand, the next witness was called. This was Mr. Christopher Bulger, one of the men it was alleged that the defendant had asked to kill Philomena. He told the court that on the last Sunday of January 1994, he was with his brother John and two others, Christy Murray and Michael Doyle. They were walking from the Royal Hospital in Kilmainham into town. A car had stopped on the road and got their attention. The driver of the car, Mr. Bulger said, was Pat Galan. He'd said hello and then driven further on down the road and pulled over again near to the junction of James's Street and Thomas Street. Galan had asked the men to, quote, do a job, but didn't say what it was. Then Galan bought them cigarettes in a pub on Thomas Street and drove them to the Basin Lane Flats. When there, according to the witness, Mr. Galan had asked Bulger and Doyle to, quote, kill a woman who worked in a hospital, end quote. There was a large sum of money in it for them if they agreed, but Galan had not said when or where this was to happen. Mr. Bulger continued, quote, I called McDoyle aside and said, what sort of a son of a bitch is this? Then I told him, no way. We thought he must be a homosexual, and Mick asked if he wanted a woman, end quote. Then Bulger said Michael Doyle had told Galan that if he wanted a woman, there were plenty around. Galan said he wasn't homosexual and asked again if they would kill this woman for him. The men had said no again and had gone off at that point. After this, Bulger told the court that he had spent six months in Cork prison. When he was released, he met up again with Michael Doyle, who said he'd seen the man who they'd met looking to have a woman killed on the television. Bulger found a copy of the Irish Independent from May 19, 1994, and said he recognised the man on the front page as the same one who would approach them, asking for them to kill a woman in return for the substantial sum of money. Bulger testified that this man was the defendant, Pat Galan. Bulger had gone to a detective sergeant in the Bridewell Garda station and told him about the incident back in January. Soon after, the witness had returned to prison and served a sentence in Mountjoy Jail. While there, he was shown a recording of the news coverage Michael Doyle had seen, and Bulger again said that the man shown in it was the one who had approached him. When Bulger was cross-examined by Eamon Leahy, senior counsel for the defence, he agreed that a statement he had made in the case had been read over to him by a Garda detective sergeant just a few hours before he had taken the stand. Bulger told the court that he couldn't read or write well and was, quote, half colourblind and had been drinking on Monday. Bulger told the court that after drinking, he sometimes went into a sort of blackout and forgot what he wanted to say. Bulger also admitted that the week before, he had been driven to the museum at the Royal Hospital in Kilmainham to refresh his memory of events. Bulger said, quote, everything came back to me again the minute we walked there, end quote but then Bulger denied he had forgotten everything before the visit. He and the Garda had also driven down Thomas Street and Bulger had pointed out the pub where he alleged Galan had bought cigarettes. After this excursion, Bulger and the Guard had returned to Kevin Street Garda station where the officer took down all the information Bulger said had come back to him as a result of their visits. Mr Bulger told Mr Leahy that he had a little difficulty remembering things and he had to make sure what he was saying was right. Christy Bulger said he didn't recall a number of meetings he had had with the Gardee. 
His recollection of meetings, dates, times, and locations, and the officers he had spoken to was a bit muddled and confused. He said he didn't remember Michael Doyle's statement being read to him, nor did he think he had made another statement to Gardee after he had given evidence in the district court in Galway in May of 1996. When asked what the Garda had said to him, Bulger's response was nothing less than bizarre. He told the court 20 years previous, at the age of 28, he had had a microchip implanted into his brain, which was connected to his mouth, while he was having an operation on his head by a surgeon in the Matter Hospital. With that, the court adjourned for the day. On Thursday the 4th of December, the fourth day of the trial, Detective Garda Gerard Dillon took the stand. He had interviewed Pat Galan in April, June and July of 1995. In these interviews, Galan told him about his relationships. Galan said that Philomena had quote-unquote fucked him about and had threatened to take everything he owned. Galan had also spoken fondly of the good times that he and Bridie Gordon had had together. Galan said that Bridie had asked him to leave her sister and for them to move in together and had given out to him before the wedding. After the marriage, Bridie continued to quote-unquote pester him. Pat also told the Garda that Bridie didn't like it when Philomena was staying in the home, as she felt Philomena was too bossy and interfered with their lives. The court also heard from Miss Kathleen Bergen, who owned a pub in Mount Bellew, County Galway. Her evidence related to a disruption that occurred on her premises in the run-up to Christmas of 1993, which involved Bridie, Philomena and Pat Gillan. Bridie and Pat had been in the pub when Philomena burst in and demanded that Pat come home with her. Pat refused, and Philomena had hit him and threatened to take him for every penny he had. Bridie had sat by and didn't get involved, bar telling Pat that he should go with Philomena. Eventually, Philomena left. A detective sergeant who interviewed Galan in Mill Street Garda Station on June 30th of 1995 also took the stand. In this interview, Galan had denied soliciting others to kill his wife in the course of these interviews and said that the two men who had claimed to have been approached were, quote, only winos from Dublin and will do anything for a drink, end quote. Galan had denied meeting anyone for that purpose. The Gardaí had told him that they believed the men and that they had come forward voluntarily with their story. During this interview, Pat did admit to Gardee that he had been in Dublin on a Sunday at the end of January to retrieve some of Philomena's things, but said he hadn't seen her as she'd been out walking when he arrived at the hospital. Galan had been told by the Gardee that he could clear his name if he stood for an identification parade, but he had refused to take part in it. Galan told Gardee, quote, I'm not going to stand on any fucking parade for these cunts. Bring them into me, end quote. He also refused to sign the notes of his interview, but agreed that they were correct. Michael Doyle had been brought to Mill Street Garda Station on the 1st of July and had pointed out Pat as he walked down a hallway and had identified him again as Pat sat in an interview room. Detective Garda Alan Bailey told the court that he knew Mr. Michael Doyle from social work he was involved in at the Capuchin Day Centre for Homeless Men. The guard recounted that Mr. Doyle had come into the Bridewell station at around noon on the 20th of May 1994 and had appeared upset. 
Doyle had returned later that day with a copy of the Irish Independent with Galan's story on the front page. Detective Garda Bailey had discussed the matter with Mr. Doyle, but the man hadn't wanted to make a statement. A memorandum of the interaction was made, though. Mr. Bulger had gone to the Gardaí the following day. Then Michael Doyle himself took to the stand. Mr. Leahy made much of the fact that Doyle had initially told police that the man he identified as Galan had asked for a woman to be killed, and he'd later said that Galan had asked for his wife to be killed. But Mr. Doyle was insistent that his identification of Galan was correct, saying, quote, I made no mistake at all, that's the man. People can make a mistake, but I never forget a face, end quote. Doyle said he had initially thought that the request to kill this woman had been a joke. He asked the man why he wanted her dead, and Doyle recalled that the man had responded the woman was threatening to take everything he had. The prosecution's case was then complete. The following day, Pat Galan gave evidence in his own defence. He sat calmly in the witness box with his hands crossed in his lap. Galan agreed that he had been carrying on an affair with Bridie Gordon behind his wife's back. He denied that he had fancied Bridie more than his wife, and said that he'd told Bridie that their relationship couldn't continue. The defendant said he'd told his wife about the affair because he was feeling guilty, and he'd begged her for both of them to leave the house, but Philomena said her mother would never agree to such a thing. Once the affair had stopped, Gillan said he was desperate to move down to the new house in Gort. The thing between himself and Bridie was over, but as long as they were all still living in Beechlawn, Gillan said he felt there was a risk it would happen again. Gillan also admitted to being in Dublin on a Sunday in January of 1994. He'd gone there to collect some of Philomena's personal belongings as she was moving her accommodation in Dublin. When he arrived at Lachlanstown Hospital, she was out, but later he'd met up with her and brought her things back as arranged. Galan said he had not been in Kilmainham or the Liberties area of Dublin City, insisting he took the keys through town to reach the road to Galway, and he denied asking Mr. Doyle or Mr. Bulger to kill his wife. Galan told the court that he had been under Garda surveillance for 12 months, and though he had good relationships with most of the Gardaí, one had harassed him and had told him, quote, by hook or by crook, whether innocent or guilty, end quote, he would get him. It was the defendant's assertion that the Gardaí had put him under intense pressure in the course of his various interviews with them, and that they had put words into his mouth. When asked why he had called the two men winos in his interview with Gardaí, Gillan said his solicitor had informed him that the men who had identified him were, quote, lower-class men who were fond of a drink, end quote, and that's why he'd used that term. Gardy had not informed Gillan who the two witnesses were, so they'd thought it was odd he was able to describe them in the derogatory but reasonably accurate term. After five days of testimony in the trial, the defence's case closed with their only witness, and court adjourned for the weekend. The following Monday, Edward Cummins, senior counsel on behalf of the state, reminded the jury in his closing speech that the murder of Philomena Galan was not central to the case. It didn't matter that Mr. Bulger and Mr. Doyle had obviously not carried out the request to kill her. The matter they were there to decide was whether Mr. Galan had asked them to do this. 
Eamon Leahy for Mr. Galan, said that the case against his client was based exclusively on the visual identification of Mr. Bulger and Mr. Doyle. Not only was this kind of evidence notoriously unreliable, Mr. Bulger had told the court himself that he had a chip in his head and that people could read his thoughts. Bulger also had over 40 criminal convictions and had spent time in the Central Mental Hospital on about a dozen occasions. Judge Joseph Matthews reiterated the caution needed when it came to eyewitness testimony in his summing up. He also echoed what Mr. Cummin had said about the nature of a solicitation to murder charge. That afternoon, the jury returned with their verdict. After about 90 minutes of deliberation, they unanimously found Galan guilty of soliciting the murder of his wife, Philomena Galan. Pat Galan's sentencing hearing took place the following week. A number of people handed up letters to the judge regarding Pat Galan's character to be taken into consideration in the judge's decision. There was a minimum term of three years and a maximum of ten provided by the legislation setting out the offence of solicitation to murder. The letters were cited by Judge Matthews as the only mitigating factor in the case as they had described Pat Gillan as an honest and truthful person. Judge Matthews continued, quote, Taking all the real circumstances of your life into account as I must do, and having due regard to the weight of the testimonials and the fact you have no previous convictions, I impose a sentence of eight years for the crime which you have been convicted of by the jury, end quote. The judge had said it was hard for him to imagine a more vile and vicious crime than this. When the eight-year sentence was handed down, Galan had sobbed and clasped his hands together. Just before 11am, Pat Galan was brought to Mountjoy Prison. Bridie Gordon said the eight-year tariff wasn't enough. She told reporters that her mother had died heartbroken and was, quote, sorry she didn't live to see this day. It's very hard to pull our lives together again. I'll never get over it until the day I die, end quote. On Sunday the 14th of September, the Sunday World revealed what they alleged were shocking details of Pat Galan and Philomena's relationship. There were reports that Pat had suffered from poor mental health and that he would take to his bed for days on end. It was also stated that Pat had refused to work and drank heavily. Michael McNiff wrote that Galan had made four attempts on Philomena's life before she was ultimately murdered by persons unknown in May of 1994. One of these was during the course of his own suicide attempt. According to this article, Philomena had intervened in his attempt on his life and Galan had then turned on her and tried to use the same rope to strangle her. Two weeks after this event in December of 1993, Pat Galan checked himself into St. Bridget's Psychiatric Hospital for treatment, but he later discharged himself against medical advice. A Garda source told the paper that Pat Galan had also tried to procure strychnine from a pharmacist, saying he needed to be rid of foxes on his farm, but the chemist told him it was no longer sold to the public. The paper alleged Pat had tried to strangle Philomena a second time when they were at the house they were building in Gort in February of 1994. The article continued that the following month in March of 1994, after he had approached Bulger and Doyle in Dublin, Pat had approached a local man in Gort, known as Big Paddy, and had asked him if he knew anyone who would kill someone for him, saying to Big Paddy, quote, 
There is this fucker bothering me for the past three to four months. I want something done about him badly. If I don't, the fucker will take the roof over my head and will take the farm off me. I had a lot of dealings with this fucker and I'm going to the law with him. He is out to clean me, end quote. Galan had then allegedly asked Big Paddy if he'd be interested in the job himself, telling him there was a large sum of money on offer if he agreed, but Big Paddy said no. Big Paddy said that a few weeks after Philomena's death, Pat Galan had approached him again, wanting to ensure that he understood the comment about hiring someone to do murder had been a joke. Pat had allegedly continued, quote, Do not mention what I said in O'Donnell's pub or I'll be fucked, end quote. Gardy had also believed that Pat Galan had solicited a neighbour in Gort to kill his wife in March. This man had made a full statement to the Gardy, but the charge was dropped in the end. The statement from the Dublin criminal also remained on file. According to the Evening Herald, this man had been offered £30,000 that night when he was approached outside a pub by Pat Galan. The Sunday World said Gardy were aware of one other man in Galway that purported to have been approached by Galan, and that Galan had been going around the town telling people not to speak to the Gardy. The Garda investigation into Philomena Galan's murder was still ongoing, and the case was classified as open. However, there was still very little evidence to build a case with. Garda sources revealed that a single fingerprint had been discovered on the rearview mirror of Philomena's car, but still no murder weapons had been found. On April 22, 1998, Kevin Galan, Pat's brother, was fined £700 for two charges of common assault, to which he had pleaded guilty. One incident related to a traffic stop carried out by Garda William Byrne and Detective Sergeant Lynham, who saw a car travelling on the wrong side of the road and pursued it. When the car stopped, Kevin got out and hit Garda Byrne. The court also heard that Kevin Galan had experienced significant mental health problems dating back to Philomena's death. He had been in St. Bridget's for two weeks and had lost over £1,000 in earnings due to various court appearances. The other charge was for the attack on Martin Gordon in the Galan's farmyard. The judge asked that both families close the book on this time in their lives and move past it. The following week, Pat Galan was in Galway Circuit Court in relation to the matter of the attack on the two guardee in their car. He pleaded guilty to hitting the guard a car on the bonnet with a baton. Galan's barrister said Pat deeply regretted what had occurred that night. He was bound over to keep the peace for a year on a surety of £100. Pat Galan also began his process of appeals in February of 1998. The Criminal Court of Appeal heard Galan's case against both his conviction and his sentence on the 23rd of November 1998. Eamon Leahy, again acting for Pat Galan, told the appeal court that the conviction was based solely on witness identification and that the witness in this case was entirely unreliable. Leahy pointed out that Mr Bulger had told the court about the chip in his head. Mr Bulger had also told the guardee that the person who had approached them had a black moustache and had hazel in his eyes, but Pat Gillan had never worn a moustache and had blue eyes. This had not been challenged by the prosecution. There was also an issue surrounding a detective who had entered the court while Mr Bulger was giving evidence. There had been an order excluding witnesses from the court prior to their testimony, and though this detective was not a witness, his proximity to the witness on the stand was considered undesirable. 
Edward Cummin from the DPP, said that the case had been brought forward properly and the trial judge had given proper direction to the jury regarding the evidence given by Mr. Bulger and Mr. Doyle. On Monday the 14th of December, Mr. Justice Lynch said that though the witnesses could be well described as down and out, their testimony, quote, must be given the same attention and respect as the testimony of the better dressed and more comfortably circumstanced, end quote. The question of who to believe was one for the jury. Mr. Bulger's statements about the chip in his head were peripheral and irrelevant, and did not mean he was incapable of giving evidence. All other matters, the car ride, the reading over of statements and the identification in Mill Street Station, were matters for the trial judge and it was determined that he had dealt with all of these issues correctly. The portion of the appeal to be heard regarding the length of the sentence was dealt with on the 21st of December 1998. The three-judge court agreed that there was only one mitigating factor in the case. There was no question of a guilty plea or an expression of remorse which might have warranted a further discount in the sentence. This aspect of the appeal was also dismissed. In a final bizarre twist to the legal saga, there was one more case that went through the court related to the murder of Philomena Galan. In January of 2000, a 52-year-old man from Athlone appeared in Galway District Court charged with pretending to be a probation officer and defrauding people of money. He had gone to a man living in Gort and said he needed a £5,000 surety to secure the temporary release of Pat Galan from prison. The following month, the man pleaded guilty to this and similar charges and was remanded in custody. In May of 1999, the Sunday World reported that a team of detectives had been assigned to Philomena's case once again and the murder was to be reinvestigated in an effort to find the person or persons who had carried out the killing. It's unclear what, if anything, this examination revealed, but there have been no further charges laid in the case. In June of 2003, the Evening Herald reported that Pat Galan was granted temporary day releases from Wheatfield Prison to work. He'd gotten a job as a builder working on a community centre project, He and a number of other men working on the same project were accompanied to the site by two prison officers. In December of the same year, Galan made his way from Dublin to Gort to spend his first Christmas out from behind bars. He made a stop at the farm near to the home he and Philomena had built and was staying with his brother Kevin. It was understood by the Sunday World that it was Pat Galan's intention to spend some of the holiday period with his son, who was then nine years old. Locals in the town told reporter Neve O'Connor that the people of Gort were split over the case. Pat still had many friends in his home place. However, there were a number of people who would have nothing to do with him after his conviction. After his release, Pat Galan began his own haulage business alongside his brother Kevin, eventually landing a contract delivering stock to supermarkets across the country and employing 12. But in 2019, the company went into liquidation and made revenues tax defaulters list. Bridie Gordon continues to call for justice for her sister Philomena. The Garda file on the murder is still open. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Mens Rea Pod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. 
This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Special thanks this week to Max Davies, Magella O'Sullivan, Lisa O'Sullivan, Thomas David Wooten, Stacey Jones, and Colette Pollan. Thanks so much to everyone who has signed up and to everyone who continues to support the show. It's hugely important to be able to keep Mens Rea going, and in return, you get ad-free and bonus episodes and that nifty merch. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. Thanks also to our sponsors for this week, Best Fiends. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports this show, so head to the show notes and get yourself some great products and services. Our theme music is Quinn's song The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This podcast is researched, written, and produced by me, your host, Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do.